All right, this morning we kick off a brand new series in the Psalms, and we're going to be in the Psalms the next eight weeks, and the, the Psalms are probably among the most beautiful Hebrew poetry, and it's been a source of hope and strength and um, comfort for many people over centuries of time. In fact, Billy Graham was once asked what he read uh, for his devotional life. And he said, I read a psalm and a proverb each day. And they asked him, why do, you read a, why do you read the psalms? And Billy said, because it really helps me in terms of the ups and downs of life. And, and that is so true because the psalms speak into our lives, whether it's times of sorrow and times of challenge or times of celebrations. And we're going to jump into uh, the psalms. And behind me is Psalm 139. And this is not something you can buy at Hobby Lobby. Uh, Sam Gable, our worship director, painted that. Isn't that cool? Yeah. He put in a little overtime this week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be actually preaching Psalm 139, and I hope to actually have uh, someone who's fluent in Hebrew actually that's going to be in the service that will... Uh, actually read Psalm 139 right from that, the scrolls right there. So we're very excited. So we're going to jump in this morning, and let's turn to Psalm uh, 8. That's our first one. And if you have our app, again, as uh, Sidney mentioned, you can pull up, uh, under Sundays, you can pull up our, uh, our, in our app on, in terms of the Bible, and you can pull up teaching notes, as Sadie mentioned too, that everything that I'm going to do here, you can have it right in your phone. In fact, if you missed uh, last week, we have our video cast there as well. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week, to actually watch it because I went through our church goals. What we believe God is, uh, is directing to us to do, what road he wants us to take in 2019 through 2020, um, I talked about that. And it's going to be a very, very exciting year, and I'll give you updates along the way. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills all the earth. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky, I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place. What are, we, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God, or in some translations, angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under the, their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how your majestic name fills the earth. Let me pray for us as we start. O oh Lord, our Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that, that you would speak through this message and thank you for this church community that we come together to worship you and to bow down before you. As we were learning in uh, adult ed in Life Hour just an hour ago that um, when we come to the scriptures, we think it's so much about us and there are parts of it that's about us, but the primary um, the primary voice, the primary theme of the scriptures is about you and your glory and your majesty. God, help us to capture that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. 
So it begins with, O Lord, our Lord. Your majestic name fills all the earth. And when you read that, you think for a second, okay, those, those are two the same words. Lord, capital L, and then Lord, lowercase. They're not the same. The first one is Yahweh, capital L. It's a personal name of God. When Moses has this conversation with God in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, he asks a very fundamental question. He says, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. And they took that as the, his personal name, and as we sang that song, Yahweh, Yahweh. And the Hebrew, Hebrew language doesn't have vowels. We fill that in in terms of English, Y-A-H-W-R-V-E-H. Yahweh, that's his name. And what that means is this, that he is the absolutely existing one. It means the one who simply is. The one who did not come into being and who will never go out of being. He never changes in his being. He's absolute. He depends on nothing. Depends on nothing, and everything depends upon him. Can I get an amen on that? Yes, his name is majestic all the earth. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to dive in, and I, I just hope that you get a portion of just soaking in God's majesty. And you might be here, and you got challenges and you got problems that are waiting waiting you down and sometimes the best thing we can do is take our eyes off that stuff and and just look to God and look at his majesty and look at his holiness and look at his glory and look at his honor and when you do that it's amazing how it changes your perspective on your life oh Yahweh our Lord your majestic name fills all the earth and when it says the second one oh Yahweh our Lord a lowercase, that means master. It means leader. It's what the, what the disciples uh, called Jesus, uh, our master, our leader. Oh, Yahweh, our master, our leader. Your majestic name fills all the earth. So as we look at this, what I want to do is David, who's writing this psalm, it's very short, he begins, as you see in Psalm 8, with that phrase. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills all the earth, in verse 1 and verse 9. It's sort of like the sandwich. And what we're going to do is look at what's in between, sort of the meat. Because there's two things that, that David does to demonstrate the majesty of God. Let's take a look at verse 1 and 2 as he demonstrates this. He says, Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Now, in, in verse 1b, or the second part of one, verse 1, we see God's glory being exalted to the highest. He's the greatest of all beings. None could be stronger. None could be wiser. None could be greater than God. Your glory is higher than the heavens. It's, it's a figurative way of seeing that. But in verse 2, all of a sudden, it's a contrast, isn't it? Now he's talking about babies. What in the world? Why would David do that? Why are they there? I love babies. You guys love babies, right? Yeah, we love, but, but what, what, what role do they have? Babies and infants. Children's actually um, a synonym uh, for us in the Hebrew of babies. Babies and infants. What are they doing there? It's exact, you see exactly what they're doing. They're defeating the enemies of God. And that comes to our first point here in terms of God's majesty. God defeats his enemies through what? The weakness of babies. 
We're talking little babies. We're talking infants. The, you know, our, our kids, when they're so young, you, you, their, their uh, words are unintelligible. Un- you don't know what they're saying, their sounds. And yet, it's through their speech. It says right here, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. So somehow, somehow their speech, simply their, their coos and, and the noises they make, is silencing the enemies of God and all who oppose him. That is beautiful. And whatever they're, whatever they're saying and whatever they're, they're cooing about, it's powerful enough to stop and to still the enemy and avenger of God. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. God is making something out of their speech to be strong. And whatever it's doing, it subdues his enemies, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. So the, the stark uh, contrast that we, we see here is that God in his majesty and his greatness, higher than the heavens, he stoops down and he uses babies and infants to express and demonstrate his majesty by silencing his enemies. And this is one of the major themes that we see in the scriptures and with the kingdom of God. I, I believe there's a number of themes, and one of them is this. God uses the weak to overcome the strong. It's absolutely countercultural. We see it everywhere. He uses the weak. He wants to demonstrate how great he is by using the weak. He doesn't use power over, although he could. It's always power under. It's using the weak. And the weakest of the weak is probably the language of babies because you have no idea what they're saying. And God uses that to demonstrate his absolute majesty. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. And we, so we see that. And God can, see the thing is, God can make anything he chooses to go out of existence, but instead he defeats his enemies with infants, with babies, what they say. And when you think about God as the name above all names, what a peculiar way to demonstrate your majesty. You wouldn't, you wouldn't chart this out. You wouldn't think that for God's greatness to come out, it would actually come out through the mouths of babes, but it does. And I think that's one of the reasons why, too, we see Jesus over and over talking about children as the symbol of faith. The symbol of faith. So number one, God's majesty is demonstrated in terms of he defeats his enemies through the weakness of babies. Number two, in your teaching notes, we're going to jump into this, verses three through four. When I look at the night sky, writes David, and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals, in other words, humanity, us, that you should think about them? Human beings, you should care for them. See, oftentimes we skip to verse 5 that talks about us being made just a little bit lower than God or the angels. But that's, that's the danger of just taking one verse and plucking it out. Because verses 3 and 4 are absolutely essential to understand Psalm 8. What are we? We're insignificant. We're nothing by comparison when we look at God. When I look at the night sky, that's what David, he's comparing, and he's looking at the night sky, he's, he's comparing the beauty and the awe and the wonder of God's creation, and he's just looking around how significant that is, and then, and then he can't help but look at himself and say how insignificant humanity is as we think of God's majesty and his wonder and his glory. And sometimes we have experiences like that, don't we? When we come to creation, sometimes there might be something that happens that just catches our breath. And reminds us how small we are. As Carl Sagan once said, we are a a small people on a pale pale blue dot caught in a ray of sun. And where where do we go? Do we have hope? And Sagan was not a Christian. And the response is, yes, we have hope. Because we have a God who cares for us. 
But sometimes we just look at, um, in terms of our galaxy and the cosmos and the Milky Way, you just take in the wonder of God. Or maybe it was like two years ago when we had the, the solar eclipse. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, and we were here at church when that solar eclipse happened in 2017, and we really couldn't see it as much. It was overcast here in Maple Grove. But there was a meteorologist that, um, for WGN, the popular TV station in Chicago, Todd Skilling, Tom Skilling, very, very popular meteorologist, who was actually on a beach in Chicago, and it was clear skies, and he was so moved by the solar eclipse as he was there on the beach with people. Here it is. Wow. Oh Look at that. Look at that. Oh, my word. Wow. This is amazing. What do you think of this, guys? Wow. You did it. Congratulations. This, where, where are you going to be in seven years? I don't know. I think we're going to be back here again. All right, you know? all right. This is we'll a, see you back here. Look at this. Oh, my word. Look at the horizon, everybody. Uh, look at that. It's like day to night. Okay, and... I mean, he just had tears coming down his eyes, and he, he later talked about it, and he said, I just could not hold my emotions back because I saw this wonder of God's creation, and it reminded me just how small we are as compared to him. It's just a, an incredible moment, and we have moments like that. We see God's majesty, and it fills the earth, and then as we look at um, in terms of what God does is that even though God is great and God is beyond and God is, is so, it's almost like it's beyond words that the, our, our language can't even express who God is. We try our best and you can see, we're going to see this in the Psalms and this kind of struggle. What are the words you use for this God? This God who's so glorious and so majestic. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't simply say you are small, uh, uh, air prone, fallible people. Uh, I'm not going to trust you. No, look at verse, look at verse uh, five. You, yet you made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Here it is. And this is, this is the uh, sort of an echo of Genesis 2 in the creation mandate with Adam and Eve. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under authority. God didn't have to do that. There's something about God that he enjoys collaborating with humanity. He enjoys uh, working with people to bring about his desires. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals and the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea. You put everything under their authority and everything that swims the ocean currents. So here it is again, where God, what he does here is that he, number two, rules the universe to the weakness of people. So it's not just the weakness of babies or infants, it's the weakness of people, is that he leads and he brings everything together through the weakness of humanity. Again, we wouldn't outline that if we were to say, okay, God's majesty, for that to come out, for people to really see that, um, it really needs to happen this way. Again, it's power under, he's using the weak, he uses uh, you and I to carry out what he wants to do. And we can't miss this. Because the glory of God 
and the, and the majesty of God is established through human weakness. Now there's a, a you know, some people say it's a true story. Others say it's a folklore about uh, Poland's, fa- uh, Poland's famous uh, concert pianist and prime minister, Ignace Paderewski, uh, which, if, if you believe it or not, but there's a commercial that was done not too long ago, and it's this. Paderewski was going to do, is doing a concert, and I believe this was uh, the early part of the 20th century, and he's doing a concert, and this mom who's trying to get her son to really love the piano, he's been taking piano lessons, the kind of beginning steps of the piano, and they're there at the concert hall, and somehow they find their way to the front row, right by the stage, right where is going to perform. And pretty soon, um, she sho- she's showing her son the Steinway piano, and just how beautiful it is, and she's explaining how, how great that piano is. And then she turns around and sees a couple of friends. She begins talking to them. And then at 8 o'clock, the curtains come across. And uh, the mom notices her son's gone. And if you've had that feeling as a parent, when your child is gone, it is an awful feeling. So frantically, she's looking everywhere for her son. And she, she can't find him. And then um, as Paderewski comes out, and there's a, you know, people are clapping for him, People look up, the little boy's on the piano bench, and he's playing chopsticks. Can anybody play, anybody play chopsticks? Does anybody know chopsticks, you guys? Anybody? Come on. Can you do it? Okay. Anybody know, anybody know chopsticks? Come on, John, come up here. Come on. Because when I, I mention things, we, it's like, oh, yeah, I know chopsticks. Actually, I don't. So even John, John was a chemistry teacher, but he's multifaceted. Multi-talented. I tried to do it earlier on, and I, don't, I never had piano lessons. I'm like, no, I'm, this would be a failure, so I'm glad John was willing to do it. But anyways, as this boy is playing chopsticks, Paderewski comes behind him, and then with his left hand begins to fill in the bass part of chopsticks. And then his right arm encircles the boy, begins to, to play, I think the note is obligato. I have no idea what that means, but whatever. Um, anyways, and he's playing, and he's kind of augmenting and filling in chopsticks. And, the, and, the, and he whispers in the boy's ear, don't quit, keep playing, keep playing. And they play the whole song. And all of a sudden, the whole crowd stands up in a standing ovation. It's just a remarkable scene. And I think in the same way, that's what God does in our lives. He wants to make music through our lives. He has a song in mind that he wants to bring out through you. And as you kind of get to the piano of life with your feeble fingers and you're trying to play the song, God comes around you and he augments and supplements the notes of the song and makes it into something beautiful. And in doing so, then God's majesty is seen and understood. God, God, the name above all names, O oh, Yahweh, our leader, your majestic name fills all the earth. O oh, oh, oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. I want you to memorize that. 
Let's give it a try right now. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And maybe as you're driving, maybe as you're going to school, maybe as uh, whatever activities you're doing, is that you simply say uh, verse 1 and 9 from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And there's something about that that hopefully will stir your soul to this God that we have. Now, a few things I want to give you as a takeaway, and I encourage you to write this down, that we, we pull from Psalm 8. Number one, God is absolute. I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. Uh, he's absolute. He's not going anywhere. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. We can trust that. He's absolute. Also, God is majestic in all the earth. There is nowhere on this earth that God's majesty is not present. And we, and we ought to, to look for that. It's our great joy to see and savor God's majesty. God is, a, is majestic in all the earth. You can write that down. Also, God has enemies. It says right here in Psalm 8, he has enemies. And, and his enemies could be people who are opposed to him. And some of you may know people like that. Or it's the forces of evil. But he has enemies. And yet his majesty will still happen. It will still happen. Because the next one I want to mention is that he defeats his enemies through the weakness or weaknesses of humanity. He defeats his enemies through the weaknesses of me and you. Let me pray. God in heaven, we thank you for Psalm 8. What a beautiful poem. Oh God, we come to you and declare your glory and honor. And I pray that uh, we would just have a, a flicker of that this week. And, and God, in doing so, that, that would light up our lives. And also, God, that it would bring us to our knees to realize just how holy and how glorious you are. That there's none like you, a name above all names. And when we think about analogies or comparisons, they all fall short because there is none like you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen.